You know, our best laid plans can often at times go to waste. That's something that we've certainly experienced over the last few years. Now, whether we've learned that lesson is yet to be seen. Uh, but it's something, something that we have uh, experienced. That sense of uncertainty, you know, whether the things that we plan, whether it's going to happen, I mean, even just last month, Easter. Now, we have plans, we've made plans. They didn't happen because my parents and Tanya's parents uh, both got COVID. And some of those plans have been years in the making uh, since the, the first Easter back in 2020, but put off another year, put off another year. Just because we make plans doesn't mean that something is going to happen. And all that can be somewhat demotivating. Maybe that was some of your experience during the period of lockdown. Now, kind of why bother? Why bother making plans? Because if they're only going to get frustrated, if you're only going to be disappointed, why invest in something that may not happen? Now, at Kingfisher, we have a plan, we have a vision to see churches that are planted north of Little Paxton. It's not something that we currently see. It's not something that has happened yet. And it could be very easy for us to just throw the towel in. Now, why invest time? Why invest energy in something that may not happen and will only leave us being disappointed? Why bother? Acts 13. This gives us a reason why we should bother. And as we spend some time looking at Acts 13 this evening, and my hope and prayer is that we'll be encouraged that in this that we would see that our labour in the Lord is not in vain. That as we consider God's commitment to his plans, to his purposes, plans and purposes which cannot be thwarted. So the book of Acts. Just as a quick reminder, it's good for us to remind ourselves, Acts, Luke, Acts, two volume work. And it's written to show that Jesus is indeed the fulfilment of all that God has planned and that he has purposed. It finds its fulfilment in Jesus Christ. Acts as a second volume focuses on the continued work of Jesus through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts is marked by these repeated phrases, repeated phrases of the word of God continues to spread or, or the church grows uh, and is, is strengthened. And if you look back to uh, chapter 12, verse 24, we get one of those markers there. 12:24, the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. And so we're now into this new section in Acts and looking at how the word of God continues to spread and flourish and with this focus on the initial missionary journey of Paul. At this point, Paul is still known by his Hebrew name, Saul. But as you see, partway through the chapter, when this mission to the Gentile world, he moves outside the Jewish context, gets going. He's not known by his Hebrew name, Saul. He's known by his Latin name, Paul. Now, this gets all quite confusing when you're preaching, because I may interchangeably switch between Saul and Paul. But if I say Saul, I'm referring to Paul. If I say Paul, I'm referring to Saul. They're the same person. But if I get confused, hopefully uh, you won't. So in this new section of Acts, we see the word of God continuing to spread and to flourish. uh, And we're going to consider two reasons for confidence then this evening. Two reasons for confidence why this is not a work that is in vain, why the word of God continues to spread and to flourish. And it is because this is not a plan that is thought up by man. And neither is a plan that is thwarted by man or by malevolent forces. 
Uh, so we're going to begin uh, looking at the first few verses, verses 1 to 3. Uh, this is a plan that is not thought up. Let's read verses 1 to 2. Uh, in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And we see here at the beginning of these verses that the gospel, the spread of the gospel, this is God's plan. This isn't a human initiative. It doesn't begin with people in a board meeting laying out some sort of strategy. It's not a planning meeting. It's a prayer meeting where this begins. And that's not to say planning and strategy is bad. We see in Paul's letters, he had a plan. He had a plan to go to Spain. He had this strategy of going to the Jews first. But this isn't just a human plan. These aren't the plans of men. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. And we, we've experienced with our human plans. Now they get thwarted. Even the best laid plans don't work out. And so one reason that we have for encouragement as we consider this work for the gospel spreading is that this is not a plan that has been thought up by mere mortals. This plan is God's purpose. We read in verse 2, it's while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting. Now the Septuagint, something called the Septuagint, you might see it sometimes written as LXX, which stands for 70, uh, is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It was something available in the first century. The early church used it. Luke himself would have used the Septuagint as well. And in that Greek translation, uh, the word here for worshipping is used in the Old Testament to describe the work of priests, the priests in the temple. And so what these believers are doing here is they're doing the same work that is described in the Old Testament as priests in the temple of Jerusalem, but we're not in Jerusalem. If you look back at verse 25 in chapter 12, Barnabas and Saul, they've been in Jerusalem. They were delivering that gift to the churches in Jerusalem following the prophecy of Agabus that there's going to be a famine, so they've sent a gift there to support the Christians in Judea. They've come back from Jerusalem. They're not in Jerusalem. Verse 13, where are they? They're in Antioch. And yet the very thing that is described as happening in the Jerusalem temple is happening now here in Antioch. See, the temple, which is the place of God's presence, is being replicated in other places we see in Acts. It's been replicated in the place where Christ's people gather. Jesus' people are gathering. They're in Christ, the local church, is the place of God's presence. And we see in this chapter it's living and expanding for his glory. Same as our vision statement. In Christ, the place of God's presence. Living and expanding for his glory. And that's not a vision statement because it's nice and it's catchy. It's not a vision statement because it is something that has originated in the thought of the elders at Kingfisher. Now this is God's plan and this is God's purpose. And we see that in Acts, and that gives us a reason for confidence, that this is God's plan for the church. So while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work that I have called them. The Holy Spirit says, set apart for me. It's the ongoing work 
of Jesus Christ. That's what we see in the book of Acts. The ongoing work of Jesus Christ through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says now, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Because it's not about us building a kingdom for God. This is God building his kingdom and he's building his kingdom through the church. Now this point where the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, probably somewhere between about 10 to maybe 14 years between this point here and before when Christ appeared on the road to Damascus uh, to Saul. 14, 10 to 14 years have elapsed since Jesus said to Ananias, you know, this, this man, Saul, he's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Now sometimes we can think, if it's not happened in the last year, maybe it's never going to happen at all. And when I was uh, joining Kingfisher three years ago now, now uh, at that point there were initial talks about the, the hope to, to plant a church. Uh, maybe that might be something that we get to that stage in three years. No, we're not there yet. And it could be easy for us to be discouraged. But God's not constrained by our time scales. There's 10 to 14 years from that time of calling Saul to that first missionary journey of being sent out. And though at times it can feel like our best laid plans have come to nothing. Now we have every reason to be encouraged because the furtherance of God's kingdom is not something that is thought up in the minds of men. It is purposed in the heart of God. And it may mean that we don't necessarily see churches planted north of here in our lifetime. And that's okay. Because that's not a vision that God gives because it's a smart objective. You know, smart objectives, what is it? Specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. God doesn't work with smart objectives. Churches don't have smart objectives in their vision. We don't persevere in this vision because it's a smart objective. We persevere because it's God's plan and it's God's purpose. And in his perfect time, now he will fulfill that. We have every reason for confidence, so we press on and we persevere. This is God's plan, it's God's purpose, and it cannot be thwarted, as we see in the verses that follow. The gospel cannot be thwarted. Now we're going to look at verses 4 to 12. So Barnabas and Saul, still Saul at this point in time, sent off and they sailed to Cyprus. This is where Barnabas comes from. This is kind of his home place. And we read in Acts 11 uh, verse 19, actually that those who have been scattered following the persecution that broke out with Stephen at the hands of Saul, those who have been scattered, they went out and they started proclaiming the gospel. Some of them went over to Cyprus. But it said those who went over to Cyprus, they proclaimed the message only amongst the Jews. Uh, and initially that's where Barnabas and Saul go. They go to the local synagogue. Uh, they're proclaiming the message about Jesus but then in verse 6, we enter into new territory and we face new opposition. So we encounter this Jewish sorcerer who's given the name Bar-Jesus. That's kind of the equivalent of a surname. It's a bit like if you said, there's a guy who's preaching, he's called Dutton. Hopefully that's where the similarities start and end uh, with me and Bar-Jesus. Um, so Bar means son of 
So the son of, son of Jesus or son of Joshua. Uh, and in verse 8, uh, we see that he's also given the name Elemas. But this is his surname, we could say. that The name, the surname, Bar Jesus, Bar Joshua, son, son of Jesus, son of Joshua. And yet when you look at Paul's words in verse 10, what are you? You are a child of the devil. So the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, he has Bar Jesus as his attendant. Now based on his name, you kind of think this would be a good attendant to have. Now the son of Jesus, and one who reflects the life of Jesus. That, that sounds good, it looks good, and yet he's a false prophet. He's not a true prophet, and he's a child of the devil. And rather than serving the proconsul, he's actually seeking to pervert uh, the way of the truth, who's leading him off the right path of the Lord. And we see similar opposition today, now, with the spread of the gospel. There are many things that present themselves as being good, as being helpful, as being ways of serving people, and yet they seek to distract them, to pull them away, to keep them in bondage, to keep them from following Christ. So verse 7, that the proconsul, an intelligent man, he sends for Barnabas and Saul because he wants to hear the word of God. But Elymas, a sorcerer, that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Now, have you ever had that experience in your life where somehow the, the conversation has started with someone and they seem to be genuinely interested? Now they want to find out more about Jesus and maybe they've gone through a particular trial maybe there's some tragedy in their life but they genuinely seem to be seeking and asking questions and searching and then something else at some point comes in their life and it distracts them and it takes their attention away it diverts it from Christ and we live in a world that is full of distractions of competing voices and if the spread of the gospel was just down to us, if it was just our plan, if it was just about us making it happen, we have every reason to feel discouraged because we can't compete now with the, the multi-million pound media machines that are pumping out messages every day. If it was down to us, our plans and our ability, we have every reason to be discouraged. But the spread of the gospel is God's plan, it's God's purpose. And it's one that cannot be thwarted. So when Elymas seeks to oppose them and turn the proconsul from the faith, we read verse 9, Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And then we're told, uh, immediately mist and darkness, it came over him. He groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Verse 12, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. I'm just going to slow it down a little bit here at verse 12 and ask this question. Why is it that the proconsul believed? Now, some may draw attention to, you know, he saw what had happened. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. 
And others may emphasize why he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. And so you can have different groups who look at this passage. Uh, and one group might say, well, you know, what we need is we need these signs and wonders. And when people see that, then they will believe. And then others will say, no, no, no. What we need is we need the, the gospel message to be clearly articulated. Uh, and that is why people believe. Now, I think uh, these verses encourage us to see a, a middle way that avoids some of the pitfalls of going to one extreme, not turning to the right or the left. The, the passage actually literally reads, he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Amazed at the teaching of uh, the Lord. The reason it gets translated about is the word of the Lord kind of gives the impression that Jesus is doing the teaching. And we see from the context now, this isn't a vision like Paul had on the road to Damascus where Jesus appears and Jesus speaks. Now, clearly, this is Paul and this is Barnabas who are teaching. Jesus isn't speaking specifically, uh, directly to the proconsul. And yet, one of the big themes in Acts, the theology of Acts, is that this is the continued work of Jesus now, through the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's actually helpful to consider that this is the teaching of the Lord. And back in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 32, we read about people being amazed at Jesus' teaching. I just hear as the proconsul is amazed at the teaching of the Lord. The reason they're amazed in Acts 4, 32 is because Jesus' words come with authority. This authority, this power that he has, power uh, over evil and dark forces that would seek to keep people in bondage. And so it's not simply a teaching about Jesus that the proconsul believes. This is the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of Jesus that comes with power and authority. Now don't get me wrong in this. This isn't to say like, what, what people need. If they have a miracle, then they'll believe. Because we see throughout the Gospels many people saw the miracles of Jesus and still rejected him. But neither is it to say, you know, all we need, or simply, if we just simply have a clearly articulated gospel message, you know, then people will believe, as though it's just down to us and our rhetoric and us polishing our words and getting the words out right. It's more than that. The proconsul saw what happened. He saw this blinding of LMS. He believed, and he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Not just simply someone saying, this is what Jesus did, but this teaching that comes from Jesus with authority with power. Now, in our culture, in our context, we may not, well, we don't really sort of face the same opposition from magic and sorcery with the gospel. In some cultures, that's a big thing. It was in the past, still today. You know, um, one of the reasons that Seth has the middle name Idris was kind of in honor of my great great uncle. Uh, Idris, who was a missionary in Nigeria. And he'd gone out to Nigeria in the 30s, I think. And at that point, there were a lot of local people who were, they'd heard something of the gospel message, but they were turning away from it because of some of the work of witch doctors in the area. I think they'd been poisoning a few people and there'd been this fear. And people were leaving in their droves and saying, what good is a gospel message that cannot protect us? We're going to turn back to the witch doctors because they're going to deliver us from death. And as you arrive there in the middle of this missionary campaign and there were people proclaiming from different church groups and 
Basically, the message came down to, if you're just like us white Westerners, you'll be fine. Just get rid of this silly mumbo-jumbo uh, and be like us. Uh, and all these locals were just walking away in their droves. Anyway, Uncle Idris decided to take a different approach. And he had some meetings and decided to proclaim about the superior power of Christ. And that there wasn't any need for fear. There was no need to turn to the witch doctors because Christ indeed had true power and true authority. And over a period of a week, and he was preaching, and by the end of the week, nothing to do with his expectations and faith. He thought he completely messed it up. Uh, and he called for people to respond, and he said there just wasn't room in the little chapel they were gathering in. After the first thousand people they baptized, they gave up. Now, but this, this message, the power and the authority of Jesus, and it needs to be something more than just saying, just forget those empty things. But this demonstration that Jesus is greater than all the empty things that people seek to hold on to that will draw people away. This truth of the gospel, the authority of Christ seen a manifest amongst us. And we need to do the same in our context. In our context, it isn't magic and sorcery. We face different kinds of forces. And yet they're no less powerful. Things like individualism and consumerism. Because the gospel isn't the only message that promises life. There are many, many messages that people are bombarded with day after day that promise life. Now, they're false promises, just like bar Jesus, false prophets. Things that would seek to lead people away that would ensnare them. And what needs to be seen is that the gospel is not just another voice in the crowd, that the gospel is true, that it has the power to break these chains of enslavement, to give true life. It's the word of God, it comes with authority and it comes with power. And for that we need a reliance on God. It's not something that can come from our plans. It's not something that we can manifest or work up ourselves. It's this dependence upon God. We've been entrusted with the gospel message, but it's not a message that we've made up. It's not one that we've created. It's not just simply a teaching about Jesus. We see in Acts as something deeper. It's this teaching of Jesus. And when Jesus speaks, he speaks with power and he speaks with authority. The ongoing work of Jesus in, through his church, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we consider that, I think it should come to us as a great encouragement, but also as a way of reorienting us. That we're not to be reliant upon ourselves, on our own ability. You know, this, this great wave, this mission that was sent out and recognizing our acts, it is not a recipe that we just do this and then this thing happens, but it does lay out some paradigms and some patterns. It doesn't begin in this big planning meeting, but in this prayer meeting, because it's not our plan and it's not within our power. It's this dependency upon Christ and the work of the Spirit through the church. So are we seeking him? Are we continuing to seek him in prayer? As we consider God's plan and his purpose for the church. Are we seeking him in prayer? And that, you know, that's not to say if we pray enough then everything that we expect to happen will happen in the way that we expect it to happen. But it's that humility acknowledging this is God's plan. This is God's purpose. We need to seek him. We need to be ready to move in the way that he calls us to move. 
Not by our own strength, not by our own ability, but seeking the enabling of his spirit. So that in those opportunities that we do have, that we do speak. Now we pray and we ask that God's word would go forth with authority and it would break those bonds and those lies that people are ensnared by. That people would see and experience just as the proconsul did at the work of Jesus. Now working in and through his church by the power of the Spirit. Our plans can easily come to nothing. But the spread of the gospel is not our plan. It's God's plan. It's God's purpose. So let's align ourselves. Let's continue to align ourselves to God's purpose in Christ. Seek his power to seek his enabling. And knowing so even in times of of trial, in times of difficulty, that our labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray.